Welcome to another episode of Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me at the Wakabonic Branch Library here in Polly's Island. And uh, you, my voice may be a little muffled because I'm behind a mask. But I'm also here with another man behind a mask. Chris Bell, who is also at the same place. At the same place. <laughs> so uh, we're not breaking any rules or anything. We work together. That's correct. We are both recording with our masks on, so we're as safe as safe can be. And we're relatively far away. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, we have been doing all kinds of things at the library. We were kind of slow to get started on our own programming over the summer because we were helping our teen services, our children's services folks, with a bunch oh, yeah. of woodcutting. <laughs> a bunch of woodcutting. We killed some trees. Um, you know, but that's all right. They turned into beautiful mobiles, like you would hang over a thing with dolphins and sharks and turtles and stuff like that, but they were all wood, so we weren't actually killing dolphins and sharks and turtles. Yes. So, but we have had, like I said, quite a busy time. We recently replaced the air filter or the vent system on the Glowforge so that it's no longer screaming at us like a banshee. That's correct. And now it's an inline fan, and we took the time to remove the fan inside of the Glowforge, so theoretically it works better. Which is pretty much required at this point. It is. Um, because, yeah, it was just really difficult. Um, but we've also started up some games programming. Absolutely. Online gaming, sort oh. of. Right. And by online gaming, of course, we don't mean gambling. That's not <laughs> our deal. No. Though that, that would be one way to pay for library programming. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, so on our more traditional tabletop style stuff, I uh, uh, finally managed to get it permissioned to run role-playing games online. And so Chris is running us. What, Chris? What are you running? I'm running Storm King's Thunder, a D&D f- uh, 5e adventure, uh, well, campaign, over Roll20, which is a virtual tabletop experience, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. We've talked about it, and I don't know whether we've talked about it here or whether it was in the On Board Games podcast, because I think the last thing we recorded, we didn't know where it was going, and it went over there. Um, <laughs> so we may cover a little bit of the ground we talked talk through previously. But, you know, for me, with my shake and break brain, um, it's all new content. <laughs> uh, my ability to focus uh, is a thing of the past. But anyway... Um, so, with this, we have learned quite a bit about how to use the Roll20 system. Now, previously, yes. you were a devotee of what system? I've used Tabletop Simulator um, and Discord to run, actually, Storm King's Thunder as well. Um, right, which is one of the reasons why this is particularly interesting. It is. Is giving you the opportunity to look at the two different versions. Yes. Um, and I guess I should have called those platforms, not systems. Uh, platforms is probably more accurate. Uh, tabletop Simulator is kind of a physics engine built around a um, board game tabletop. Uh, I bent it to my will to work with role-playing games. It's not designed for it, but with all the modding, it's very doable. Uh, ran an eight-month campaign. I'm going to go with eight months. That may be give or take a month or so. Yeah, you uh, about eight months plus any time you, you stop for a break. That's true. I never stop for long breaks, but... Every single week for a year is, it's a long time. <laughs> it is a long time. 
Uh, so what would you say are the big differences between running a long-term campaign? And I say long-term, we've only met a couple of times yeah. for the Roll20, but already have you noticed any differences? Absolutely. And uh, for one, Roll20 is designed for role-playing games. There is a bit more of a cost to getting into it. You can pay to get better Roll20 features to make your campaigns more intuitive um, and just have more components to them. Yeah, right. There is a basic level that you can get in for free. There it ads is. Where ads will, might run when you open it up. Right. And you have less resources. Um, however, with Roll20, you get what you pay for. Um, and to that point, the campaign, or no, the group I ran the Storm King's Thunder campaign with, I am now running a different campaign, Curse of Strahd, over on Roll20. I've already had one of them give me the comment, and uh, the other ones agreed, that they've, even after two sessions, Roll20 felt a lot easier for them to use than Tabletop Simulator. A big part of that has to do with the fact that uh, um, you're not also trying to navigate a physical virtual space yes uh, with roll 20 you're having to get around the table you're having to find your specific things uh, you're you're looking for stuff physically and then trying to convert digitally into your mind and then back again and everything in roll 20 feels like oh i'm accessing all of this through google docs yes part of what makes roll 20 great too uh they call it the compendium it's a searchable feature for basically all of the rule sets you have for whichever system you're using. Oh, it's magical. It's glorious. So um, if you're interested in learning the basics of D&D, um, the compendium, the, the, it's the SRD, the standard rules document, has enough to get you started. You can run with it, you can play absolutely. with it, it can go. If you want features and you want more races and more classes and, and stuff, then you may want to get that year subscription and you may want to buy the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide or Xanthar's guide to everything or et cetera, et cetera. Right? Yes. Um, and now it's not to say you need those. Um, you can always just manually create all the stuff yourself, but if you have those extra compendiums, it's built in, you press level up and it gives you all your features for you. It adds the numbers where it's supposed to go. You don't have to do any of the extra fiddling. It is all built into the system to add it all up for you. And you don't have to deal with, well, much else than which subclass do you want to pick? Right. Having all of the material already in the game and in the engine make it run a lot smoother and a lot faster. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm running a Dungeon World game, and it is what you might call lightly supported <laughs> um, because you can do characters and you can roll the D6 and all the other dice that you need, but there's not a whole lot of extra rules and races and stuff like that like there is for D&D, &D, and there's not the... Instead of character classes and character sheets, they have what they call playbooks in Dungeon World. Um, and each one of those has special rules built into it, and the basic ones are available, but none of the other ones are. It's not like someone has gone through and made an effort to put in all of the other playbooks. It's very much a case of the more mainstream the system is, the more Roll20 is going to put in to get people to buy stuff for it. Right. So you ran Storm King Thunder. You played through the Curse of Strahd. You yes. have your hands on both of the hardback books for both of those. I do. Um, one through the library and one through your own purchasing. That's correct. Um, 
what what would you say that Roll20 offers that you don't just get from having the hardback books? Um, it was the most glorious thing when I realized it. Uh, when you purchase the campaign on Roll20, which costs, I'd say it costs slightly less than the brand new book. Yes. Um, they have in there all of the handouts you'll need to give to your players. They have all the chapters put into special folders, and you can open it up, and it'll have all the maps for that chapter, all the locations, the step-by-step of here's where the players are probably going to go, all the random encounters, all the tables and charts that are needed for that chapter, all of it shoved into that little folder. Oh, you're on to chapter three. You close chapter two, open chapter three. Everything you need for that chapter, right there. And that is amazing because one of my biggest gripes with D&D books is not all the information you need is where you need it. Uh, Yeah, the organization I've come to realize is uh, questionable. mm. And I know that with the group that I'm playing in another D&D campaign with, that uh, one of, uh, we'll just call him one of the old farts who's been playing role-playing games since the early 80s, (laughs) maybe before. Um, He's like, I hate the way it's organized. I can never find anything. I'm like, dude, right there, search it. And he still can't find it. In the hardback yeah. book, he can't find it. Online, he can't find it. <laughs> that um, seems like a different issue. But <laughs> Yes, it does. And that is, you're correct. There are more issues there than National Geographic. <laughs> but what I will say, uh, basically, my take, uh, what I would say is the takeaway from all this. Roll20 was designed specifically from the ground up for role-playing games online. And uh, it shows. There are other systems to use. There are other ways to make it work. Um, but, well, like I said before, you get what you pay for. They've, they're really trying to make it work to where you don't need much else. Right. Um, now, I will say that one thing is that it feels, it all still, feel, still feels very first generation. Mm. Like, you hope that with as many people as using it, that within the next year or two, they come over with a complete site redesign and it gets a little more intuitive, a little better to use. Absolutely. But it is a vast improvement over any of the other stuff that I've seen in this field. <laughs> right. Uh, right now, it's kind of got the issue of their number one and number two is so far behind that they don't need to innovate yet. Um, but I think, especially with COVID forcing everyone into these situations, um, the runner ups are starting to catch up. Right, and, and it looks like some of the other ones are a lot better to use um, or more attractive or more, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Right. right? At this point, I find that the one of the cool things and one of the annoying things is the line of sight stuff that they've got for Roll20. And so if you're going through a dungeon and you've got lighting effects and line of sight turned on, then as you're proceeding through your dungeon adventure... You can only see what your character can literally see. Absolutely. Uh, which I will say does make some entertaining moments. Uh, I believe this was Curse of Strahd that this happened. <laughs> Too many games. Might have been Storm Kings. One player goes went up to a corner. No, this was Storm Kings. One player went up to a corner and they saw all the things. They went, oh my goodness. The other player who was using a torch couldn't see that far. was like, is it a big thing? He comes over. Oh my goodness. That's right. And there are some magical moments it's like that. not a big thing. It no. is a couple <laughs> or a few big things. It was, uh, it was very entertaining. So the line of sight feature is kind of neat. Right. And, and it nearly got myself, Carol, my character killed. All right. <laughs> um, 
because you'll see, um, I like to see all the map, right? Mm -hmm. And it's even if I'm not actually going to adventure through it or do anything, <laughs> uh, uh, then, you know, I'm going to check it out. And the when my back was turned and I was off mic, apparently our group learned that if you go to this area, you'll die. And and I went to that area. <laughs> and uh, And... If I'd have been left alone for too long, I would have died. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I think that some of the burdens and barriers for playing online RPGs that we haven't really ever talked about has to do with that social table experience. Yes. And, and I think that one of the problems that we are having right now is that you've got two overbearing personalities at the table one of them may be me. Um, and there's not a way for the other players to get their side chatter in, right? Mm -hmm. So for the other game that I'm playing in, I spend half the time drawing or paying attention to other things just to make sure so that everyone can... Um, get their turn. Can get their actions. And in your game, I, I was trying to ride herd on the other character who was dominating the spotlight, I guess is the way to put it. And I should have just left that to you. And that was my fault. But, um, so I think that there, there will have to develop other tools that make it easier mm -hmm. for you to have, you know, threads of conversation or, or whatever. Cause like if there was a way, even if it was typing, right. If, if it was like, Oh, so-and-so is whispering to the other character where it would say Donald's character is whispering to this other character. So people know that there's back chatter going on. Right. So, um, I've meant to talk to Donald about this. I haven't had the chance today. Ooh, if we're going to talk about it on here, then that's how we'll do it. That's yes. fine. Maybe it's in, maybe it's not. <laughs> I'm editing this, so <laughs> if it gets left in and I look like bad, then, then it's a lesson I um, hope other people will learn from. This is a kind of a lesson yeah. I'm having to teach myself because I've found myself in a situation I've not been in before. Um, I'm doing... I've done online mostly gaming, but online chat rooms, voice, and all this stuff for a, a number of hours that I don't want to admit. Um, thousands upon thousands of hours I have spent doing online stuff. The people that I played my first campaign with are the same boat as me. They're people who play a lot of stuff on the computer or on video games or on consoles or whatever over voice chat systems. You have to learn there's a different way to speak when you're using a microphone versus if you're talking to someone in person. After that amount of time, you get used to it. You know how to talk to people without walking right over someone. My group now doesn't have that experience. And I'm realizing people are walking on top of each other. They're talking right over each other. And no one realizes the, I guess, the way they need to recognize when someone else is talking. Or it's just... There's a different way of talking. It's hard to explain because it's kind of second nature at this point to me, but they don't have that nature. And so it's something I have to focus on curating a little better. It is a skill that you have to develop. And the, the problem is that, that this particular player, who I'm certain will not listen to this, <laughs> but if he does, oh well, um, will talk over people in real life too, constantly. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's familiar with online gaming um or online chat rooms at all will understand that's a huge issue in uh chat rooms right and so i think a huge part of this 
is that that he's not adjusting at all. Right? Yeah. And I'm trying to adjust and trying to adjust his behavior without coming through and talking to him about it. And and it's it's always an issue of communication, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, is that uh, I don't know if if he's ever going to see that that something is is going wrong in the communications process. Um, and I it became very apparent to me up front that yes, this was wrong, but nobody else was being in, getting able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to sort of clear the clear the field for people, <laughs> and and I handled it poorly, and that was my fault. Um, and. I don't know. Is it is it a lesson that we need to have? Is it is that would that be a good for me? Primer? I'm still trying to figure that out because that's a barrier to entry I've never considered because it's not one I've had to experience yet. Right, 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 right. Well, I mean, I, you did, but video games and board games are hugely different from role playing games. They to, are, to, but it's not about that. It's about the way the chat system works. It all it's similar. You you can't talk over other people because headsets. Unless you have a ridiculously good headset, it's not going to be able to handle two people talking at the same time. It is going to come in like gibberish. You will not pick one out from the other. Right, right, right. That's just how it works. And so people who've lived in that space have know how to deal with that. People sure. who don't, don't understand that if you have a, somebody talking into your headset and you're talking out, you are now the only two people that can understand that conversation in any level. That's absolutely true. But when I was playing World of Warcraft, right, mm. um, everything that my character do- was doing was mechanic, right? So mm-hmm. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. A lot of the text for that was automated, right? A lot of it yeah. was already part of the thing. I never had to verbally communicate it. Mm-hmm. In a role-playing game where theoretically we are playing a role and emoting as that role and evoking as that role. Yeah. That, you know, you might have a player who over-excribes, over-describes, over-explains, over-whatever, mm-hmm. because that's how they've traditionally gotten into their character was by this is me and here's the thing and that kind of deal. Yeah. It, it's a barrier and it's a different kind. I think they're related. I think they're absolutely correct. That, uh, yes. Um, but it, that is definitely a barrier to going from in-person to online that you have to learn to deal with. When you have people who aren't experienced with the space, there are issues that you would never even consider. And so, I mean, it's something difficult you have to learn to work through. Yeah. And also, I think that uh, one of the things that we could do better as a group is for people to throw into chat, right? Yes. Um, Now, one of the reasons that I like Zencaster, which is one of the ways that we use to sometimes record podcasts, is if you want to say something, there's a little raise your hand icon right? Yeah. You click it and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to make room for Chris to talk. I don't have to do that because he can wave at me now or mm-hmm. whatever. But if we're doing it online, it's great to be able to know that, oh, I have just trodden over someone or they want to do the thing. And I think Roll20 would usually benefit from some sort of stance or readiness or interest of participation mm-hmm. icon. Right now, I, this is something I'm going to have to deal with. Um, we use discord as our audio system yes. but we use roll 20 for everything else uh the reason for that roll 20's audio system sucks it is horrific um discord's decent um they're one of the leaders in well pc audio chatting but um 
I've got players who don't have two screens like I do. Um, so I have to figure out where to get everyone to consolidate their chat, where to have these messages back and forth. Cause some people are talking in discord. Some people are, are typing in discord. Some people are typing in roll 20 and I've got to figure out how to organize that better. That's right. on me. So what I, know. what I do is in game chat, when the game is running happens in roll 20. Yep. Out of game chatter goes into discord and mm-hmm. that includes people pulling up memes and <laughs> yeah. throwing them into my discord or pictures of raccoons greedily <laughs> rubbing their hands together yes you don't, but you that's something i need to specifically spell out to players because again i've got people who are not familiar with computer etiquette right out of out of there's five of you out of five players you have at least four different decades I mean, it's, yeah, it's easily four to five decades. It is a vast swath of players. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, and, and there's a lot of learning to go. But it's interesting. At this point, we're like two episodes in, two sessions in, rather. Yeah. And uh, it came up fast enough that I think it's solvable before you lose any, any of the players. Absolutely. Because I'd really hate to lose... Um, any of the library patrons because one other patron is sort of sucking all the air out of the room. Right. You know. And to be fair, uh, this may also go back to a standard role-playing table problem. I'm sure that you all have had problems with that one player who's, you know, steering the ship and won't let go. It's, it's an age-old role-playing game problem that any long-term GM is going to face one point or another absolutely certain on that um so yeah that's pretty cool uh we'll be talking about my dungeon world campaign over on the uh, onboard games podcast even though it's yeah. a role-playing game it's not library but two yes. of the two of the five players that chris has are participating in that my game true. so and i guess we should point this out the storm king thunder thing is being run for the library we advertised it to our patrons and so we have the kids who we've timed it for when they're not in school, um, for the most part. Well, yeah, no, it's after. Um, yeah, it's Saturdays, right? It's Saturdays. It's so when they're not in school, but we are trying. That's one of the ways we are trying to get engagement with our patrons that don't have the opportunity to come in the room anymore. So even though our library is closed on Saturdays, we got permission for Chris to run the game. Um, I am filling a seat in it, but if it ever fills up with enough patrons, so like if we get two more patrons yep. want to join, then my character slot will die gloriously <laughs> underneath the heel of a giant. Um, and so that's the thing that could happen. Absolutely. And actually, if that happens, I'll probably start running another game. Yeah. You know, but oh, one thing I forgot to mention, since we're talking about all this, with the uh, Storm King's Thunder and the Roll20, is that the friends purchased you know, some books for us. Yes. And you can set up other people as GMs on your games. That's correct. So we have our one account and we're not going to ever run more than one game at a time on it. Right. Um, And at a time, I mean, within a certain time of day, but it allows access to those resources from other people and you can upload your own graphics and your own whatever. So, So, I, I made a purchase of a bunch of graphics that uh, I am slowly uploading to our library account mm-hmm. that will be available whenever you go to that library side. Now, if Chris is uh, running the game from his side, he can't access those 
um, all the time, but if they're already on a map or they're already in play, then he can absolutely access them. Absolutely. There are some restrictions to this, but basically what we've done, we have the library account, then we have our personal account set as the GM. Now, the library account at the cost that we pay uh, for the subscription allows us to run three games where we share with up to 10 people all of the books the library account has. So 10 people per game, so up to 30 people. Right. Um, so if we try to run more than that, then there's trouble, but you can basically have a master account that has all the money funneled into it that sets up your games, and then you can have maybe even just some of your patrons running the games if they really want to do that kind of thing. Yes. Though we've been invited. The library account has been invited to two games with like hundreds of people. Yes. I don't, those aren't D&D, though, so I don't know what the deal is with that. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a money-making method to those somehow. Someone, someone's trying to bilk us for cash. <laughs> but we're a library, so we have none. Uh, um, but oh, so true so there there's a lot more in the roll 20 that we haven't discussed and as we discover new things we'll share it with you um, but uh, i have found that you know even with the free-flowing sort of dungeon world stuff versus the maps oriented mm. stuff of uh D that it works pretty well right as i was saying before as of right now it's kind of the industry standard number one for online rpg stuff and if you've got another favorite one that you would like us to look at, please let us know because yeah. uh, I'm willing to explore anything, though I tend to do so slowly and uh, with great <laughs> reluctance. But but I am willing to, uh, to to eventually get around to it. Absolutely. Um, and there are some that I've seen that look much better, but I don't know how they function comparatively. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Yes. Um, the other thing why Chris was mentioning the we're doing it for when the kids aren't in school is we've also started running another game online oh. or another bunch of games online. What yes. is this, Chris? We are Twitch streaming. We are streaming the Jackbox Party Pack games. Um, we are looking into some other party style games, maybe in the future. But for right now, we're sticking with Jackbox Party Packs 1 through 6. I'm going to say 6. I think it's 6. Right. Um, it is. Yeah. So... The it's a series of games that are specifically designed to be played um, over Twitch streaming. We record the game, we stream it live. I think there's maybe a four or five second delay just because of the way our internet works in the library. Yeah, which is poorly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the players on their phones or computers or tablets, whichever the one they want to go to, they go to a website, they punch in a code that's on the screen. Um, pretty much constantly and they can join in and do the trivia games or do the drawing games or do whichever game we're doing with us um, and they'll interact with us through a chat channel but we're kind of the actors on Twitch so we're speaking out to everyone at the same time yes we get all the snark and all the joy <laughs> and all of the uh, griefing each other that you could ask for we're the entertainers we, yes we're the per personalities we're yes. the personalities uh, and so it's so far, it's been a lot of fun. We have had, I don't know, up to five people play with us at one point once, or maybe six. Uh, we had six, including us. Yes, I think five yeah. or six. Um, it's still fresh. We've only done it like Two five weeks. or six times at this point. Today's our fifth day. Oh, it's today our fifth day. There yes. we go. We've done it four times. Um, yep. So it's brand new, but every time we do it, we manage to get a, quite a few more people. And it's all the people who are 
well, it's a lot of the people who would want to show up to the library. They can't. So we kind of do this as our after school thing for now. Right. And also some of the folks who have supported us with Shushcon who've yes. shown up. Like uh, Stephanie, who was previous co-host here on the show. Uh, Lynn Theory. Who is uh, also a Twitch streamer. Yep. They do a Twitch stream uh, for a lot of video game stuff. Not all of it's family friendly, so we don't advertise them <laughs> <laughs> for the schools and library stuff. But yeah, so I have enjoyed it quite a bit. It's certainly allowing us to get familiar with how to use Twitch. Yes. Uh, and of course, we got a nice little graphic that we share, and it's all under our ShushCon. So if, you, if you're on Twitch and you'll find it, search ShushCon, uh, jump in. The, the only downside to it is that there are a bunch of games you can't really play with the delay. That is true. <clears throat> so anything dexterity related or where timing is critically essential. Now, but, you know, the trivia murder party works great. Yes, the trivia games are great. Uh, the guessing games, the drawing games also work great as long as we extend the timers a little bit to uh, allow for that delay. Um, but they put a lot of information on screen or on the tablet for the person. So even if the Twitch is delayed, they'll be getting the cues faster. Right. And it really isn't that big of a day delay. Like I said, it's maybe four seconds. But those reaction-based games don't work with four-second delays. Right. We've right. tried. I was trying to play one from home just so that we could see if it worked. And I was constantly shooting where the thing was. Mm-hmm. So launching myself at them. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we've, we've had a lot of games that have worked. Let us know if you care about them or want to hear more about them. Um, you know, love it, love it, love it. Right. Basically, we're just trying to fill in for our patrons that can't come in anymore. There's a lot of opportunity for doing things online in today's day and age. And uh, it's so easy to get into that libraries can do it. And the only cost to us really is the games and the uh, microphone. Right. I, w I wish that we had been able to do it starting at the beginning of the summer. I wish that we had been oh physically gosh. and mentally capable of dealing with it. If we had jumped on this sooner, um, we could have probably easily integrated this as a regular thing um, that could even carry on beyond this point. Right. Now, in theory, you can get affiliate status or partner status on Twitch. Uh, we haven't decided if we're going to do that thing yet because that means that you can earn... people. Uh, so the way that works... On Twitch, people can subscribe to you, uh, which is either a $5 cost, or if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch sub per month that you can give out. Um, and the Twitch peoples, whoever's actually running the channel, gets two buck fifty. Yeah, it's two fifty for every subscriber, and then Twitch takes the other half. Yep. Um, or people can just donate straight up. And so we're talking about, ooh, it, once we get to that spot that do we talk to the friends and have them hook it up to their account hmm. because I'm not taking any money from anything library affiliated <laughs> because that way, <laughs> yeah, that way lies peril. Oh yes. Um, and so who knows? Uh, we'll see what happens. If you would though, please go to twitch.tv slash and give us a listen and a like and a follow and a whatever you do on Twitch. I believe it's a follow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't give us a subscription because we don't have anywhere to put the change. Uh, I Actually, don't, I don't even know if you can give us a subscription. I don't think we can get one until we have affiliate status, oh. which we don't. So maybe, maybe soon. 
Well, uh, we've got uh, to go and actually do our Twitch thing. We were going to do a couple of reviews here, but we'll get to those next time. Um, and so anyway, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. And you've been listening to... The Games of Schools and Library podcast. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilop, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend, Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.